This episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by our friends at Ultraviolet. What is that you're drinking, Izzy? This is a spicy mezcal margarita, which is, as you know, my summer beverage of choice. Very nice. I'm sipping on a stone cold glass of rosé, very much wishing we were by the beach in Australia right about now. Me too, but New Zealand. We may not be able to enjoy the perfect down under summer, but you, our angelic listeners, are. And alongside our friends at Ultraviolet, we're bringing you six weeks of chock-a-full of fantastic summer content. So you can have a very ultra summer on our behalf. As you've no doubt heard us mention many, many times by now, Ultraviolet is our favorite sunscreen brand on the planet. They've completely transformed sunscreen by making a formula that looks and feels like skincare. So you can protect your skin every day without clogging your pores or lugging around a big, ugly, greasy tube. After the crazy old year that we have all had, Ultraviolet wants you to kick back and enjoy a well-earned break, spending this summer living your very best, very ultra life. So you might be wondering what it means to be very ultra and basically it's the next step up from extra. It's walking an extra 15 minutes to go to the coffee shop that serves the brand of oat milk you like, guilty as charged, or spending an unreasonable amount of money on a birthday cake that matches the exact shade of your mint green sequin dress. Grace, guilty as charged. It's also taking a whole afternoon to yourself to read a book about an issue you're passionate about or spending a bit more money to buy from brands whose values you align with or, um, in my case, using a whole roll of film in one night just so you can upload the one cute photo you think you got on your vintage camera to Instagram. That's very ultra, even, like buying a film camera for the Insta aesthetic. For the gram. I know I can't upload any other photos now. I've got myself (laughs) stuck in this hole. You're trapped in the aesthetic. (laughs) So basically, being very ultra is about being an AWD girl. It's being full of substance while also being a little bit silly with a little touch or more than a touch of chaos added to the mix. And so because we all know you embody the very ultra lifestyle so perfectly, we'd also love to hear from you. Please send us through a voice note to hello at afterworkdrinks.net with your very best ultra moment. And each week we'll play our favorite in the episode. Plus, if your voice note gets played, you'll get sent a special gift pack from Ultraviolet on us. And just because we love you, you also get an exclusive discount code that works for the entire summer up until February 28th. All you need to do is enter AWD10 at the checkout at ultraviolet.com.au for 10% off your order on anything except for limited edition sets. One use per person and not available with other offers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of After Work Drinks. Hello, Grace. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How are you? Oh, yeah, pretty well. Um, Welcome, everyone, back to our very ultra summer. This week, we are setting our sights on LA, speaking to one of our favorite people on the internet, Alyssa Limperis. So we really wanted to speak to Alyssa because she's the perfect, very ultra muse, not only because of how hilarious she is, but because of how she's kind of joined this cohort of Instagram comedians who completely saved our lives during lockdown. So she's friends with Mary Beth Barone, Jordan Firstman and Z-Way, who are all our forever faves. Yeah, Mary Beth Barone is an AWD alumni as well. Um, You guys might have seen during the US election, we posted a video of Alyssa on our Instagram grid doing a skit where she pretends she knows what she's talking about when it comes to politics. 
that's just one of the many, many posts that she's done recently that helped us get through an incredibly chaotic time in our lives. Yes, and on top of her normal comedy routines, Alyssa has also carved out a niche for herself doing grief comedy. So after losing her dad to cancer five years ago, she started to channel that grief she was feeling into an entire comedy show called No Bad Days, which was a sellout success before going on to perform at grief retreats all around the country. She also got her mum involved, impersonating her and starring alongside her in YouTube clips that have gone viral, leading to Alyssa writing various hilarious New York Times columns about the likes of going home to visit her Greek family at Christmas. Alyssa's radically candid approach to making jokes out of death, addiction and eating disorders in both her stand-up and her hit podcast Crazy in Bed, where she spoke to New York friends like Leandra Medine and Lauren Duca, earned her 100,000 Instagram followers and a write-up in New York Magazine as one of the comedians who defined 2020. We spoke to Alyssa about grief and getting through depression, why LA is the best city ever, what grief comedy is and how she stumbled into it, how Instagram and social media have helped usher in a new breed of comedians, getting rejected for jobs, and why comedians always date other comedians. Enjoy, we know you will, and please rate, review, and subscribe, and we will see you all on Wednesday. See you on Wednesday. Bye. Well, thanks for having me. How are you guys? We're good. We're in, um, so we're, the podcast is Australian, but we live in London. Um, so we're oh. back in a full lockdown now, which is kind of shit, but we're just like <laughs> drinking our way through it. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, we knew it was going to happen. It really, it definitely felt like, yeah, when we got out of the first one, I think we're going to be in the same place pretty soon too. Yeah. You're in New York, right? The second one's kind of easier. You're like, all right, boys, like we know what we're doing. That's the thing. Like we, yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in LA. Oh yeah, sorry, LA, yeah. Yeah, no, so same, same over here. I'm like, the first one, it was so terrifying. We just didn't know what what to do. Now it's like, yeah, we know, we have, we haven't really done too much. It won't be very different from my (laughs) current It would be different. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Okay, let's jump into things. Um. Firstly, your election content was keeping us sane during the decade-long wait to find out who'd won. Um, because of- well, I'm glad because that's my insanity. I'm glad that my insanity <laughs> fueled some sanity for others. It was soothing for us. It was good for our mental well Yeah, I shared your video of um, like being like when someone asked me about the election. <laughs> I was like, "That's me. That's me." Um, what were you doing when Biden won? Like, did you finally pop that bottle of champagne? Well, yeah. So the timing was I like posted that champagne video and then I went to bed and then I woke up and I just looked at my phone and someone was like, you can pop the champagne now. And then hmm. that's how I found out. I was like, turn on the TV. And then we saw Biden won. So it was really early morning. Yeah. And what was LA like? Did it, could you hear it erupting or was it not actually like that in real life. Yes. I'm, <laughs> was that an Instagram well, thing? Well, it's, it's, it's definitely both. I feel like in New York, when something happens, you just feel it. You're like, if when someone is, yeah, when something happens, it's impossible. You're in the middle of it always, no matter where you are here, where I'm, where I actually am, you kind of heard nothing. But then once you walked like, or drove a certain, to a certain point, you just heard, then there were like little pockets of people going crazy it felt like a huge relief it just felt like yeah new year's eve new year's day yeah i started crying which surprised oh, me too. i think it was just the relief of it which is like weird as well because like i'm not american and in america so i'm like capitalizing on your <laughs> nightmare yeah. 
But I was just like, I was like, oh my God, it's over. Like this fucked up thing that makes no sense. No, but that's even crazier that, yeah, you're not here and that you still felt that relief. The fact that people around the world were feeling it was really like, oh wow, this, like this collective feeling of instability is really, really you know, pain, painful and hard. And I, I, I just, I felt the same way I cried and I just felt like at least the, yeah, at least we have someone who's like going to recognize the state of the world. And even if that's it, like that's such a low bar, but they're going to be like, Oh, we do have a pandemic. Let's like try to address it. Yeah. That's, I know. It's so funny, isn't it? It's like the bare minimum. I'm so lucky being from New Zealand. I've got Jacinda Ardern just like, Oh, (laughs) Yeah, why would you get back there? I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, my dad also died a year after Trump. So, like, you know, I had Obama and my dad, and then Obama was gone, or my dad was gone, and then I got Trump. So there was something about Biden, too, that just felt like, oh, it's going to be nice to have someone, like, yeah, it just felt like things have been a little out of control. Nice to have someone who's like, hey, I... I like ice cream. I have a dog. <laughs> I'm gonna a get dog. you. A, I'm gonna get you. Yeah, Dad everything's energy. gonna be okay. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we wanted to start by getting to know you a little bit more. So we just wanted to know if you could tell us a bit about where you grew up and what you were like in high school, etc. Were you always really funny? I grew up in Seekonk, Massachusetts, which is like um, closer to Rhode Island than Boston. And so I went to school in Rhode Island and I ran track like pretty aggressively all throughout middle school and high school. So I liked, I I liked comedy. I grew up watching comedy and stuff, but I didn't really do it that much in high school. And then once I got to college, I was still running track in high school. I was just like, Oh, I run track. This is what I do. And then when, when I got to college, I was like, Oh, I don't have to. (laughs) And and so I was like, Oh, I don't have to run. I don't have to be in pain all the time. And I saw like this ad for like joining an improv group. And then once I found that, I felt very like, Oh, this is this I love. So at that point, the rest is kind of like history. I always knew like, okay, I feel very home here. This is where I want to stay in some capacity. You went through UCB. Yes which is like really famous. Um, so it's like Aubrey Plaza and Broad City Girls and Donald Clover, very, very um, esteemed alumni. <laughs> Does that make it a super, super competitive environment or are, are people not thinking that way while they're Yeah, there? no, it definitely was. Because, um, you know, I, I, my first day in New York City after graduating, I was in a UCB class. So it was very like, that's where I wanted to go. That was my my sole focus was to like get on a team and be a part of that because yeah, they were so just, you know, there's like, you don't know what to do. There's like the the world is very big after college period. And then comedy is also very like vague. So UCB felt like, Oh, I know I can just go there and work the ranks and I want to like keep growing. It felt like, okay, that's like grad school or whatever. And so I took those classes and I loved it. And I learned so much and I met so many of my friends, but it was really, it was really competitive there were, I remember having to like refresh my browser to, to see like if classes were opening up and the minute a class opened up, if you didn't do it like right away, you know, you, the class would fill. So yeah, basically it was really competitive and it taught me a lot. Um, but eventually I was like, I'm not, I can't, I'm not getting on a team here. I'm not finding success here. And so I got to move on because I can't just, you know, wait. So then I started 
doing like my own stuff and I started kind of doing stand up and sketch. And then eventually I found my way back to UCB uh, doing sketch versus improv. And that like super competitive environment, it just doesn't necessarily suit everyone. Like there's personalities that really thrive. It's like all school is made for a certain type of personality to thrive, right? Yeah. Yeah, so true. I think like, especially with with comedy, you know, it's, I'm a very hard worker. I like, I like deadlines and I like, I don't mind competition. You know, again, I was like an athlete. So like I, I was game, but it felt like, well, comedy should be a place where you're just, it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm trying to fit this thing to get, it's like, no, I, if I'm trying to find my voice, I should just try to find my voice. And if these people don't like want my voice, that's okay. Versus me be like, I have to change my voice. It's like, No, because comedy should be, you know, creative and individual. And so it, yeah, but it, but again, you know, I think UCB was great for just like, it taught me how to write comedy and how to do comedy and do improv skills that I still use every day. Um, And friends that I made that, that I met there, I make stuff with. Um, But yeah, it helped me to be like, oh, go find, keep going, go find a different route and see if that suits you. Yeah, so now you have a podcast, Crazy and Beard, which you co-host with your friend May. Yes, yes. Well, so May May's my best friend. She lives like two doors down. And we had this podcast kind of right after Trump got elected about we kind of met and bonded over just having eating disorders and I was going I was going through losing my dad. She was, I wanna say, maybe like five years sober at that point. So we were both just like dark people who liked laughing about it. I I you know, I I, we always talk about how like we saw each other at an open mic and then it was like, oh, we became, we just became very close friends. And that podcast really helped us laugh through a really dark time. And then we both moved to LA and like five days after being here, we were like, oh, we're cured. <laughs> we were like, oh, we, oh, maybe all we needed was sunshine. <laughs> That's how I feel every time I'm in LA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we kind of, um, yeah, by the time we got to LA, I think we'd already worked through a lot of our stuff. And we still are, obviously, we deal with stuff. Um, but it didn't feel any more so top of mind that we had to, like, talk about it all the time. It actually started ta- feeling like, oh, we're talking about this stuff, but it's not as present. So we're like, why are we doing this to ourselves? We're, like, bringing ourselves, you know, back down when we're when we're actually feeling, okay, she got a dog. We, we have, like, outdoor space. We were like, what are we doing? <laughs> So um, now we work on other projects together and we kind of have just for now taken a break um, for, from that pod. And then yeah. like other than LA and a dog and having the beach in close proximity, what are kind of the best coping techniques that you found over the years that kind of help you to keep your mental health in check? Yeah, I mean, I really feel that my therapist would call well, therapy. I feel lucky to ha- to be able to go to therapy and if, if, uh, if people have insurance or the funds to do it, that to me is like the number one step. It's just like uh, a real check-in point and a neutral person in your life to kind of guide you and remind you like, oh no, you you felt this, like you've, you've felt this way before. Cause I think that's the scariest part of any of any shit, grief, anorexia, depression, uh, anything is just the feeling of like, I'll feel this way forever. I, I'll never stop feeling this way. That I think is the danger zone. The feeling is okay. It's okay to feel sad or grief or, weird about your body I think the 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 hard and scary part is when you think "Ah, I'm falling and it's never gonna end um so yeah I think my 
my like toolkit. I feel like I've just been growing a toolkit of things that are things I can do uh, that reset me kind of, you know, like um, going for a walk every day is very important to me. I go for a long walk every day. I drink a big coffee every day. I used to, you know, this, it's, this has been a hard time, obviously, because the toolbox, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, a lot of my toolbox, uh, I didn't realize there'd be a pandemic. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think like seeing friends, I really write down like, yeah, what are all things that I have control? Basically, if you can, yeah, I write down things I have control over that make me happy. I've done that too. Yeah, you do that too? Yeah, my therapist told me to do that. Yeah. Oh, isn't that great? It's, yeah. It's such a, yeah, such an, it's such a classic adult thing to, to be like, okay, what do I like? To, so it, it, yeah, it, it um, feels very, every time I write down, like, what do I like? Oh my it's funny how simple it is as well. Cause I remember Izzy was like to her therapist, cause Izzy went through like a really bad depression, which we've also talked about a lot on the podcast, um, kind of this time last year. And Izzy was like, I just feel so happy when I'm in LA. <laughs> And her therapist was like, then go to LA. Yeah. And Izzy was like, well, no, I should just be able to suffer in the cold, dark winter in London if I'm a normal human. Like, what? And she was like, just do something that, you know, makes you happy, you yeah. fucking weirdo. Like, just do it. Or Izzy was like, I'm so happy when I have an animal around me. And her therapist was like, get a dog. <laughs> I know. She was like, why are you making yourself suffer so much? <laughs> so then she, yeah, she got me to write down. Because when I was, so basically I was in LA kind of recently, randomly, which during the pandemic for a bit. Um, and I was like, I feel so much happier here, like just like what you were saying. And then I had to come back to London for work and because mm. I don't have a visa, I need to marry an American. Um, and we're yeah. working on yes, good. Do okay, you I'll, want I'll to get noted. married. <laughs> I'll keep my eyes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, she was like, just write down all of the things that make you happy, even if they're not in London. You can refer back to that note and realize why you're feeling less happy. So I look at my note now and I'm like, I'm happy when I'm in the sun. I'm happy when I'm by the beach. I'm happy when I'm around animals. And like, these things London doesn't provide, but at least you know why you're not feeling good. Totally. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it's like, I think maybe we get used to suffering or we think like we should be able to be okay in suffering. And it's nice to have someone be like, no, like you don't have to do that. Mm. Like you can go where it's warm. You can both emotionally and physically, but yeah, it's like, it's hard to, it's really nice that I never have to worry about it raining. That's a big that helps if it's hard if you have depression it's hard to leave the house if there's you know rain it's harder if yeah. there's sun it's a little easier yeah i have a theory as well that i'm like testing out on people um at the moment that a lot of oh, my friends me. so a lot of my friends who left new york who lived in new york for their whole lives were like i'm obsessed with new york i will never leave new york it's the best city in the world and then they leave and they and it's kind of like they had stockholm syndrome <laughs> Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great because you never hear anyone else talking the way that people talk about New York. Yeah, yeah. it's like the girls on The Bachelor. This is what we always what? talk about. We're like, no one's allowed to say anything negative about the guys. Totally. So like, yeah, no, he's great. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's like when you kind of sometimes see those couples who are like, everything's great. We're doing, so- we love each other so much. It's like, whenever everyone's talking like that, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong. Uh, things are wrong. Something, yeah, we're, we're days away from a breakup. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I, I think that, well, so interestingly, New York uh, saved, I, I was really, yeah, I would say I was at my most depressed pre-New York and then New York really like, I would say probably saved me in a lot of ways. But, but 
maybe in retrospect, I can see that how it saved me was a little like escapism was it was just like it just provided noise and chaos where I didn't have any. So it, so I think it is, it can help in the short term, I think, to kind of keep you stimulated. And if you're someone who maybe like, and my mom, when she lost after losing my dad, you know, she's 50 at 55 or 56, she moved to New York city for like a year. And it really helped her too. Cause I think she was just so stuck and feeling so sad and, and New York, it does provide, I think the magic of it is it is this heart, which probably I'm sure London is too. Like just cities provide an existence outside of yourself, noise outside of yourself. And so I think that can be helpful in the short term, but long-term being able to like LA, I feel has helped me be like, no, you don't need that. Like you can have all that inside yourself, yourself. You don't need it in a, in noise. Yeah. We're going to take a very quick break here to hear from the winner of this week's very ultra moment. Don't forget to send yours in to hello at afterworkdrinks.net for your chance to win a prize pack from Ultraviolet. The most ultra thing I've ever done is catch a flight from Sydney to London just to go on a date. <laughs> uh, Works in my favor though, because three years down the track and I'm engaged to that guy. So yeah. In the, the podcast, something you and May talked about a lot, as you mentioned, was eating disorders. And it was honestly the first time I think I'd heard people joke about it <laughs> in, in like in in a great way where like some of the stuff you said I was like oh my god this is crazy they're like saying because it's <laughs> so irreverent say, but obviously like the scenes, maybe I think the thing with disordered eating is that so many women are on this spectrum of disordered eating and because we have like this shroud of taboo around it and like it's so serious and you can't joke about yes. it because it's fucked it's like no one can talk about it because it's almost, it's like so serious that we've just blocked it from being in conversation. So hearing you guys joke about like, I don't know what a burrito is. <laughs> it's just funny where you're like, okay, now we can open up this conversation that every woman is having internally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. That that I'll tell me that that's that that makes us feel good. I think that's definitely a part of it. Was the secrecy? There's a lot of shame in eating disorders. So I think the more you keep it a secret, the more it thrives and it lives. So we were both in a much worse place with our eating disorders before we started talking about it. And then it frees it, it freed us a little bit from like, yeah, fuck this thing. Like, stop. Like, this is not, we don't need to obey you. We don't, we can like joke about this and yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad you felt that way. Did you ever get like backlash from people that thought you were being insensitive or did people kind of get it? I, think, I don't think we, we did. Um, and I think we were, we always tried to be careful so as to not joke about it in a way that would uh, maybe trigger people to, to do certain behaviors again, or we tried to never like glamorize anything or um, so that's kind of, I think that's the tightest balance you walk when talking about it is just making sure you're not doing anything that would make someone uh, cause we both, you know, I think read literature when we were younger that maybe instilled some thoughts in our head. So we were always very wary of like, we don't want to be the a podcast that people turn to and then turn to these behaviors. But beyond that, I think because we've been through it, I, like we never joked about stuff we'd never been through. I think dark comedy is dangerous when you're joking about that like you're not, and then you're not familiar with, because then it feels like, hey, how do you have the right to, to, to joke about this? But yeah, because we'd been through it, I think it felt always a little bit uh, self, 
self-deprecating or, or at the cell like we were at the center of it yeah um so you've mentioned your dad um on speaking to us and we've been talking a bit about grief recently on the podcast because grace's mum recently got sick she's okay now thank god <gasps> but it reminded me of um looking after my stepdad when he was sick with brain cancer in 2015 and you've spoken about losing your dad to the same illness yeah uh, yeah, yeah i'm so sorry well i'm sorry for you too <laughs> we're like part of this yeah. little club <laughs> oh yeah he had yeah he's he passed away yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. And Grace, your mom was sick during the pandemic. And she had brain stuff as well. So she had like, uh, she was in Australia and I was oh in my London. God. And she's like a typical annoying parent who told me like, she's like, look, don't stress. I'm getting brain surgery in like 48 hours, but don't come back. It's fine. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, but the thing that me and Izzy talked about is like Izzy's dad passed away five years ago. Me and Izzy are best friends. We talk about everything. And it's like, until I'd had this experience of nearly losing a parent, I just... It's like we it's like we suddenly were speaking this yes. language that we couldn't speak yeah. to each other before because it's like if you haven't experienced it, you just it's it's not that you're not empathetic. Totally. It's not that you're it's just like there's nothing else you can say except this sucks. But when totally. you've been through it, it, there's like this new world you enter. Yeah, you've like is, seen I mean, it, you know like, that okay, yeah, you it's totally different. I I I felt so, felt so badly once it happened like oh god I've never ever said the right thing when someone's like I had a friend whose dad died in college and I was like oh my god I can't believe she was going through her whole earth shattering and and we were like can I get you a latte <laughs> you know it's like oh my god you know it really yeah um yeah it's yeah I mean you guys know it's like there's nothing there's nothing quite like it I feel I'll never yeah I'll never be the same um it's yeah, it's been five years. It was five years this this fall. The pandemic's been interesting. You know, I think in a lot of ways it mirrors what uh, like death felt like of just like every day you're you're scared of what news is going to come up. Every day you're losing some part of normalcy you assumed you'd always have. Your um, people are likening it, it to grief. Yep. For sure, it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it kicked off like you making these videos instead of doing regular on-stage comedy, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, basically, I, I, I'm sure. Did you guys keep podcasting like through when your dad passed? No, we hadn't started the podcast because, yeah, mine was five years ago as well. Oh, um, so we wow. hadn't started the podcast yet. But it's, yeah, it's such a funny thing as well because, like, as you were saying, Grace, you – until you've been through it you don't realize and people just assume you get over it so quickly and then you, you kind of want yourself to get over it really quickly because you're totally. like oh I've got to get back to normal because everyone like assumes I'll be back to normal because it's been like six months or a year or two years but we talk about we don't really talk about it much we talked about it probably for the first time on the podcast when Grace's mum got sick and she was like holy mm. shit I can't believe you've been through that I can't believe you were like in a house nursing someone as they were slowly dying and I was like yeah it was fucked I'm like he used to like try and play Scrabble with me and couldn't spell the words and I'd just have to let him cheat and I was like you fucking 
Yeah, I was with my mom and she was like in this facility and she had to like draw a <laughs> clock and she was like drawing it and it was like this fucked up shape and like had all these. Fu- I was like, oh <laughs> my god! I was like, what is happening? Right, I just had to like walk out of the room. Like it wasn't even, and it's weird because it's like it's sad, but it's also like obviously you would know like funny sometimes and then boring sometimes and then surreal. It's just like a very weird experience. Yeah, of course, it's like it's. Yeah, it's so intense. It's so sad. It's so dark. But yeah, also it's like there's still humor. It still exists. Life, you know, yeah, life is still, I mean, I feel like me and my brother laughed so much just because you're, when things are so painful too, you're so pent up that by the time a laugh comes, you're like dying laughing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So basically, yeah, I think like these things change you it's true it's like you watch your dad not know how to spell stuff you watch your dad ask you and you just that really wakes you up to like oh my god this person was the smartest person and the strongest person a year ago like we don't have time to waste you got to do what you want I think I I have always wanted to act and I just kind of was drawn to comedy and then when my dad died I was like I don't want to do live stuff this doesn't feel good to me I want to do I want to act so then I just started really making um character videos and kind of going in that direction and then I never really looked back on like yeah so it's nice I feel that he's with me in a lot of ways or that he's pushing me or that I'm here because of him and and that is that is nice and you make the most amazing videos with your mom yeah is that a bit of a cathartic exercise for you both Oh, oh yes 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 definitely it was very cathartic I'd spent so much time with my mom I'd just been yeah I'd logged whatever, 10,000 hours and more. I blogged my time that I became a pro expert at my mom and I, and we were both just in a dark place. And to that point, I think we both really just needed a laugh and uh, she's a great sport to do them with me. And we have had a lot of fun <laughs> making them. And yeah, I, I hope now it's, I hope I can see her soon. So you wrote a solo comedy show about your dad's passing called No Bad Days. Yeah. And then you performed comedy at a grief retreat. Um, yes. and grief comedy seems like a very odd concept, but like we, us three get it, um, because yeah. we've been through it, but then it makes so much sense at the same time. Um, how, how have you found that like grief, I mean, using comedy to get through grief has helped you and helps the people at the retreat? Yeah, I feel also I feel like basically once my dad died, I started like the only thing I could talk about was what I had been through because I was so fucked up and I was so hurt and pain. like my whole world just felt like that. So I did grief comedy in places where they were expecting comedy. <laughs> that was very hard because it's like Hannah Gadsby's like, Nanette. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were like, we want to hear about yeah. having sex. And I was like, my dad was in a coma. <laughs> Seven days, you know. He died. And then he died. Um, yeah, so that was really, that's probably when I was like, fuck this, I need to just do, you know, sketch comedy or something. I can't do this. But then when I made that solo show, which May directed and helped me a lot with, that was my favorite form of comedy ever. That shows the, my favorite thing I've ever done. I hope to do it again in, a, in some form at some point because I was saying, hey, this is gonna be an hour about grief. So like, if you're coming to this show, you're walking into these walls knowing you're getting a grief comedy thing, probably you've dealt with this. Like almost everyone in my audience at that point probably had some connection to grief, death, sickness, my dad, their dad, whatever. That was awesome because then it's like, 
it almost was better than normal comedy because it was like we are sh we're talking about something that I know we all we all sort of share. Um, and in that hour, I got to really talk about how much I loved my dad, which then makes crass jokes about losing my dad feel a lot like uh, more okay. Whereas sometimes at a bar show, if I made a crass joke, they'd be like, whoa, it almost didn't, they were like, oh, I don't think I can laugh at that because your dad died, you know? So it's kind of delicate, but I think when I had the context of, hey, here's how much I loved my dad. Hey, here's how hard it was to lose him. Hey, here's some jokes about it. That's probably my favorite form of comedy uh, I've ever done. And same with the grief retreat. It's like, how cool is this? We all here share this, share this same, it's kind of like how election comedy works. It's like, we're all sharing the same reality. So when I post this video, it's probably more likely to hit people because we're all doing it. Whereas if I share a video this week about something that's going on in my life, who knows if it's going to be a shared reality because, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about anything specific. Mm. Brings you so much closer together as well. Like these shared experiences. Totally. Yeah. It felt very like when I did that show, it was a collective experience. We were doing it together. It wasn't, yeah, it was very like we all left going through something together. It was very cathartic. What's interesting about that is I, when I started doing it, wouldn't cry at all. Like it was just very like fun and cathartic and jokey and great. And then the last, I want to say five times I put it up. I had this, I have this one section that's a little like emotional and I would just weep and weep and weep. And that's kind of when I knew, okay, it's, it's time now. This got me through maybe the shock phase and the processing phase and like, but then once it started being like reliving it, like it was almost like I was so shocked that I wasn't reliving it. I was just kind of telling people it. And then once that wore off and a year or two, I was still doing it and I started really crying. It was like, I think this means it's probably it's time and yeah yeah i always remember my um my cousin because my uncle passed away in january saying that like the the day after the funeral was weirdly the worst day for them because there's kind of like this attention on you in that like whatever two week period and it like like that disappears the day after the funeral like it's this weird fucking feeling where suddenly you're like oh everyone's gone and I'm still like living with this oh my thing. god totally because beforehand yeah you have people in the hospital or you have people at your house you have hospice you have people bringing food you have the planning you have the wake you have the funeral all this family comes you have all this food coming and then like yeah, everyone goes back and then you're kind of left with like your new reality. Um, my mom now, whenever someone dies, she always waits and then she like brings them food like a month later because she's like, I know that that's when it's like the most lonely and the hardest. Yeah. And that's so like you saying, um, realizing how you were dealing with your trauma, like realizing that a year later, maybe that wasn't so good for you. I feel like that's similar, like with grief and any trauma, you kind of like tiptoe your way through figuring out what you're ready for and what you can handle and then like retreating when you can't so it's, totally it's so interesting totally. yeah it's so it's so weird it doesn't follow the normal pattern like I don't know if you feel this way but I'm probably sadder now about it than five years ago it's just like you emotions come at different stages yeah. there's just so much to process that it takes a while almost to get to pure sadness yeah mm. yeah okay Grace career stuff all right great <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your career 
Um, no, but I'm like so interested because I'm like very, I only recently, because my boyfriend's very into SNL and like that style of comedy. And it's only recently that I've kind of got across that whole thing and learning about like the kind of history of like, especially that New York style yes. comedy. And it's really interesting to me how like, even 10, 15 years ago, there was like such a clear pathway to being like successful totally. in comedy that was really funneled. Yeah. Like it was like, you got one audition here or one audition here. And if you blew it, you blew it. And that was it. Or like you were relying on the whims of like five gatekeepers at five different shows. Do you feel like lucky that that's not a thing anymore? Or do you feel like it kind of is still a thing? No, I feel very lucky. I feel so lucky to come up at a time when I have a phone that acts as an amazing video camera and like that I can, yeah, I, I think that, that's exactly right. I think like there's still a lot of gates and there's still a lot of like ways that you have to, you know, do the system and, and you're at, you are at the mercy a lot of times of stuff that's out of your control or someone making a decision that, yeah, that lets, that could be big for you. Um, that's still there, but it's, it's nice that when I don't get something or when I, my heart's broken or when I'm like really invested in a part and I don't get it, it's really sad, but the next day I can be like, okay, you can make a video, you can put out a podcast, you can write something like there's just such action you can take to keep pursuing your art. You know, a lot of it is like, I just want to act. I just want to do comedy. And I feel like, oh, what is, that would be so sad if I couldn't do that unless someone said I could, I might not be able to get paid for it, on my own right now, but like to at least if I hang up right now, be like, I feel like acting, I feel like doing comedy, I can like just do it. That is a huge, that's a huge gift. That's, I feel really, really lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. I was listening to an interview with Lily James like um, recently, which has um, been in the media a bit, but she said something which seems pretty obvious. Um, but what I hadn't realized before, and that's if you're a performer, you have this weird mix of having to be like extremely vulnerable because that's the only way you can do your job and then extremely thick skinned because of how fucked up the industry is, um, which would probably be even more intense when you're a comedian. Wow. That's so true. I thought about that the the other day. I was like, I'm the most sensitive person I in the world and I'm doing this. Yeah. It, yes. Even the day where we were supposed to record, it was just such a devastating, it was just like such a devastating day of like, Oh, I've, I've, I've put myself out there. I've like put all this, spent all this time on this thing. I've met, and then it's just done. And you, you get some note about maybe how you, how you did or how you look or why it didn't go. And it's like, yeah, it's, that is a great way to put it. The combo of like the people who are drawn to this are really sensitive, vulnerable, open, creative people. And yeah, you also have to be okay with just getting a lot of uh, flat out, rejection mm, i can't even handle like one bad podcast review oh t- yeah we got like one bad podcast review and we just like bitched about it on this <laughs> podcast page it's like you know if you're gonna do a bad review can you put your fucking name on it <laughs> <laughs> just like two little cunts totally like, though i mean same like i can get one one comment on a video it doesn't matter what other people are saying that yeah I'll, i can i mean i think i've gotten a little bit better at that i think my like way around that is like if i think something I did, I think even in auditions, really, it's like, I try to just, and this is a real therapy thing, but I really try to just focus on like, did I 
put out my best work? Did I think the thing I put out was funny? Did I think what I did was, was good? And did I do the, the best that I could? Yes. Okay. Then I really have no business. What that's all I can control. So the rest of it is almost just like, well, but that kid, that doesn't, it, that helps me not feel anxious about it, but it doesn't, that'll never, it'll never not feel sad. Cause it, it should feel sad. It's like, it's, it's a letdown. It's a, it's kind of like, you know, a breakup or it's like, yeah. I envisioned my little life with this heart. Yeah, I wrote our names together with a little hearts on them. Yeah, but but again, also yeah, that's so true. It's like going for your dream yes. job, like over and over. That's again. right. Yeah. That's right. It's like I've it's never like thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's like having an interview for your dream job all the time. Yeah, totally. Um, so the last thing we wanted to ask you. I don't know if this is like an inappropriate question, but we know your boyfriend is also into yes. comedy and we just wanted to know if that was like an incestuous community because it sometimes seems from the outside Definitely. like, Definitely. yeah, like is it like the like gay community where like you have to be friends when you break up because you'll just of see course. each other all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We met, you know, years ago, like in doing, con- we met doing open mics and like everyone. Yeah. That's how all my friends. Yeah. That's like so my funny. worst nightmare. I was like, don't date comics. Go ahead, sorry. That would be my worst nightmare, meeting a guy and then having to go on stage and be funny. Oh, my God, right? Yeah. It's But maybe it's also why, like, it works in a way because, like, Luke, my boyfriend, had seen, like, you're so, you're, it's so, it's, they've seen, he's seen me eat shit. He's seen me do terribly. He's seen me at my most, you know, vulnerable. So <laughs> it almost... It was definitely my first relationship where it was like I wasn't really pretending because he'd seen everything. Whereas I feel like in college I was always like kind of just like doing a little act. And and once you once you're in the trenches doing stand up, it's just kind of like we there was no fakeness. We just knew each other really well and we were friends first. And then yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. We so love yeah, speaking to it you. It was so great to talk. Oh my to god! You. Thank you so much for having me. Our dream, our dream situation was to like go out and like meet everyone we wanted to interview and like shout them a drink, but it's just been um, obviously scuppered by COVID. Okay, coolest but word I've ever again. heard, scuppered. Come on. <laughs> what is that? Hold on. Wow. We live in England. <laughs> yeah, you might have rain, but you get to use words like scuppered. Okay, exactly. so yeah. I appreciate you guys so much. Okay. Have a good day. And if you're ever in LA, let me know. Um, I, I'll show you around. We'd love sunshine. to. We'll get margaritas. Mm-hmm.